So this afternoon we are studying what Scripture teaches about the fourth commandment, also as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 38 of the Heidelberg Catechism. I know that liturgy says Lord's Day 34, but we're on Lord's Day 38. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel and the schools be maintained, and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Thus far the reading of our confession. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, every, every year there may be particular days that you take a special delight in. Many people, I think, especially the children among us, they certainly look forward and take delight in their birthday. Christmas is another day many people take delight in as the holiday celebration can be a very enjoyable time. Maybe it's also something like the opening day of fishing season. Can't wait to get out there to cast your line. The first day of summer holidays may be a day of delight for both students and teachers. The first day of school may be a delight for many parents. But what about the Sabbath day or the Lord's day? Is that a day that you take delight in? And to make the question even more pointed, listen to this definition from dictionary.com for the word delight. Delight, a high degree of pleasure or enjoyment, joy, rapture. Now, would you say that that describes your attitude towards the Lord's Day? Well, this afternoon we'll be looking at the fourth commandment. God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. But we see from our reading in Isaiah 58, the Lord even goes so far as to instruct us to see the Sabbath, not just as a commandment to be kept, but something to be called a delight. Something to take pleasure in and to treasure. And that will also be our focus as we study the fourth commandment this afternoon. And so that brings us to the sermon theme this afternoon, which is as follows. Call the Sabbath a delight, and you will take delight in the Lord. And with two points, the Lord calls us to take delight in the Sabbath. Second of all, delighting in the Sabbath leads to a delight in the Lord. So we saw from Isaiah 58 that God instructs his people to call the Sabbath, the day of rest, a delight. Now, taking delight in the Lord's day might be challenging for us for several reasons. And here is the first one. From a purely surface point of view, artificial point of view, the things we do on the Lord's day do not appear at first to be things to take much delight in at all. After all, God commands us to rest by putting aside our regular work. That might sound 
kind of boring and restrictive. We also come to church every Lord's Day to sing some songs, read from an ancient book, to hear to 30-minute speeches or sermons. On a purely superficial level, those things don't seem that delightful at all. And seeing what the Sabbath is all about, we might begin to wonder if we could ever uh, do that, call the Sabbath a delight without, you know, without it actually being a delight. Here's another reason calling the Sabbath a delight might be a challenge for us. Other delights in this world seem to offer way more to us than what the Lord's Day appears to offer. For all, there are so many things in God's creation that we can take delight in. Think for, some, uh, for a moment of something in creation that you like to do. I can think of any number of things that I like to enjoy. And often those things can seem to our eyes to be more appealing or exciting than doing something like going to church twice on Sundays. And when we observe the Lord say rightly, oftentimes it means putting aside other interests that captivate us. It means denying our other things, ourselves other things, that we might delight in. That might sound like not much fun at all. And this is especially true in light of the fact that we often lead very busy lives. So much of life is filled with work and business and all kinds of different activities that we need to do. And when we finally have some time away from work, we may desire to spend time with other things that interest us. We don't have much of a chance to get to during the week. When we are away from work, we want to have fun. Here we have a day of rest where we don't have to work, and now worship of the Lord is supposed to take priority. To a lot of people, that sounds like a burden, not a delight. And this is why the fourth commandment will seem so strange to people who don't know the Lord, who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, people understand the logic of the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Rules against murder, that makes sense to to people. People also understand the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Many people often steal in one way or another, but the rule itself still makes sense. But the fourth commandment seems backwards to so many people in our world. They might ask, why would you spend an entire day resting and worshiping? Why would you deny yourself things like shopping, sporting events, and all kinds of fun activities, especially on a a beautiful day like today? And this is why an unbeliever might have the idea that someone who keeps the fourth commandment, ah, they're kind of a slave. Well, this attitude shows us something as of what this fourth commandment is all about. This commandment is not just about rest. But the fourth commandment is also about this. What is your ultimate joy in the world? And what is your highest joy in life? And what takes priority in your life? 
See, if your greatest delight in life is something other than God, then the fourth commandment will not be a delight. It will start to become a drag. We will then start to treat the Lord's Day like the Israelites treated the day of fasting described in Isaiah 58. The Israelites asked God why he did not see them when they fasted on a day of fasting. God replied that yes, they physically fasted, but their hearts were far from the Lord. They were just going through the motions, performing a religious duty that they had to get, get over and done with. They pursued their own pleasure. They oppressed workers, spent their time quarreling with each other. We could turn the Lord's Day into something like that. Treat it as just a day to perform some religious duty, get over and done with, but all the time our hearts are far from God. In Amos 8 verse 5, the prophet Amos called out against the people because of their attitude towards the Sabbath. The people were saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be over that we may offer wheat for sale? See, with that mindset, the Lord's day is a drag. I want to get on with the rest of life. I want to return to your regular delights. But God calls us away from that view and attitude towards the Lord's day. Of course, there is a way that we can turn the Sabbath from a delight into a burden. The commandment to rest can be turned into a thousand extra commandments prohibiting simple activities that the fourth commandment still allows for. Think of the Pharisees in the New Testament. They added all kinds of extra requirements to this commandment to build safeguards around the Sabbath. They thought that would keep the people from sinning. They appear to be zealous in keeping the fourth commandment. But they did not really keep the fourth commandment. They did not take to heart the words of Isaiah 58 to call the Sabbath a delight. And they made the Sabbath a burden for people by all their extra laws and rules. And it truly became a burden for people. So we have to guard against that. Well, then we might ask, what does it mean then to call the Sabbath a delight? What does that look like? Well, at the heart of things, it is to call, a call to view the Sabbath for what it really is. You see, there are two primary ways of looking at the Lord's Day. We can view the Lord's Day as a big restriction on our lives. Or, we can view it as a great opportunity. An opportunity to grow in faith. An opportunity to grow closer to the Lord and to his people. Well, guess what? Calling the Sabbath a delight takes a second view. We can also see the fourth commandment as God taking away something from us taking away our spare time, taking away our freedom or fun. Or 
Or we could view the Lord's Day as a gift from God. A gift God gives to us for our own good. Well, guess what? Calling the Sabbath a delight takes, again, the second view. You see, calling the Sabbath a delight changes our focus from what we can't do on the Lord's Day to what we can do. Instead of aiming just to minimize work, we want to maximize this day in a way that God designed it for our good, for each other's good as the body of Christ. And in Isaiah 58, the Lord lays out some specific ways to honor this day in a way that he intended it. He calls us to turn back from doing our own pleasure or business on his holy day. He calls us to honor it by not going our own way or talking idly. And we can honor this day also and honor the Lord through this day and how the catechism speaks of it in Lord's Day 38. That especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord to give Christian offerings for the poor. See, you'll notice in this answer of the catechism, it doesn't give us a long list of rules about what type of work is forbidden, but it aims to teach about the fourth commandment in such a way that the potential of this day, this gift from God, is maximized for God's glory, for the building of his kingdom, for the good of ourselves, and the good of our neighbor. And that's what God wants us to do when we think of the fourth commandment. To call it a delight to set aside all our regular work so that we might focus on our God and Savior, that we might grow in our faith and in our walk with Him, that we might learn to do good to our neighbor. And in Isaiah 58, verse 14, the Lord proclaims a glorious result of honoring God's special day in this way. He says, Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And that's the greatest benefit of faithfully keeping to the Lord's day. Delighting in the Sabbath leads to taking delight in the Lord. And that's what we're going to see in our second point. Now we confess in Lord's Day 2 of the Catechism that by nature we're not inclined to take delight in the Lord. but By nature we're inclined to hate God. But in Isaiah 58, God says that if we call the Sabbath a delight, it's going to change us. It's going to change us into new people. People who now take delight in their God. And that shows you just how much an impact a proper use of the Lord's Day can have on us. That's one reason, one main reason, why the Lord has given us the fourth commandment. To change us profoundly. Well, let's take a step back for a moment. And let's take a bird's eye view of the fourth commandment and the potential it has to change our lives. If you use the Lord's Day 
as God designed it, then what sort of impact will it have on you? Well, 52 days out of every year, you will study scripture and dedicate time for prayer. Every year, you will hear in the range of about 100 sermons. Let's look at that even more long-term. If you have walked faithfully with the Lord for 20 years, then you will have had uh, 1,040 days, almost three full years of days to focus on God, to study his word, to spend time in prayer, and to be strengthened by fellow believers in their presence. Can you see how much of an impact that can have on your life? And that's how God has designed for us to grow. It's how he's designed that we would grow closer to him. It's true. Every Lord's Day, every Sunday, might not evoke some major religious experience. But as we are constantly fed over time, God in his faithfulness will cause us to grow. To grow in faith, grow in love for him, grow in love for each other. And what would happen? What if the Lord's Day observance were taken out of a person's life? What if over that 20-year period, all those days of focusing on God, hearing his word, were removed? Well, a person would barely know the Lord, if at all, and certainly not learn to take a delight in him. We would remain in our natural state of hating God and our neighbor. Now, it is true that taking delight in the Lord like this may take time. By nature, we hate God. We're slow in our hearts to see the beauty of God, slow of heart to see the delight there is to be found in God. But by maximizing the opportunity of the Lord's day, we will be changed. That's God's promise to us in his word. We can trust that. As the gospel is preached every Lord's day, as we expose ourselves every week to that good news of Christ, we will see the wonderful things that God has done for us. We will see things and hear about how God has set his love upon us even when we were deserving of his wrath, even when we were his enemies. He set his love on us. We will see and hear that this God chose us out of the world to be his own children simply by an act of his sovereign grace. He chose us even though we were no more deserving of salvation than anyone else. Faithfully hearing the word of God, we will see and hear that God the Son gave up his life for us. Going so far as to dying on a cross under the wrath of God. So that the wrath of God might be removed from you forever. Save you from eternal death. Give you eternal life. We will see and hear how the Lord promised to bring us to the new heavens 
and a new earth. And as that good news is preached and we hear about it every Lord's Day, that is how we will learn to take delight in our God, the God of our salvation who has saved us from eternal death. And that delight in the Lord might take time to grow, but that's okay. It's similar to human relationships. Human relationships take time to build, and they can grow over time. But taking the time to build that sort of relationship is worth it because it brings joy and delight. Well, it also takes time to come to know the Lord more and more, to grow in love of Him and intimacy with Him. But it's worth it. Because building that relationship increases our eternal delight. And that delight we find in the Lord is greater than any human relationship has to offer. Well, consider how good this is for us when we take delight in the Lord. See, God can never be taken away from us. And so when we delight ourselves in the Lord, our delight... Likewise, cannot be taken away from us, because God is always there. You cannot say that about any other created, any created thing. God is an eternal God, and so as we delight in him, our delight will be an eternal delight without end. What so often happens with our delight in created things, something you like, oftentimes that delight fades over time. We buy some material possession. At first, it captivates your attention. You use it for a while, but over time, the delight fades. Put that possession away. You barely even look at it even anymore. Not so with God. By delighting ourselves in the Lord, we will find eternal delight. God is also an infinite God. It means that our delight in God will also know no limits in eternity. And on the new heavens and the new earth, our delight in our God will only grow and grow forever. It's because God is infinite. And you can never, absolutely never say that about any created thing. You see, if our highest delight in this world is placed in some kind of created thing, eventually it will, it will fade and fail. That will not happen with the Lord. And if we learn to do this, learn to delight ourselves in the Lord, we will also look forward all the more to eternal life. You know, as we read Scripture, we may wonder why it doesn't tell us more about heaven, why it doesn't describe Heaven more. It does in some places. Sometimes I hear that question, you know, why doesn't the Bible tell us more about, about heaven, about what eternal life will look like? Look like? And maybe you've wondered that before. You know, we catch glimpses of it here and there in the book of Revelation. There doesn't seem to be oodles of information. Now, perhaps this is because the glory of eternal life is uh, too great to, com- com- uh, to completely describe Uh, in the here and now. However, we can look at this from another angle. When we look at things a different way, we see that Scripture reveals a lot about heaven and eternal life. 
That's because in eternal life, we will be with the Lord in his presence, forever enjoying fellowship with him. Eternal life is about being in God's glory, with God in glory. Because of that, we can say that every page of the Bible tells us something about heaven and eternal life. Because every page tells us something about our God. Because eternal life is about being with God and glory, the more we take delight in the Lord, the more we will look forward to that eternal life that is coming. On the new heavens and new earth, you will delight in God forever. And that far, far surpasses any delight you may experience in this life. I can promise you that. I can guarantee you that. We will be filled with an inexpressible joy such as we have never experienced here in this life. We will experience it forever. And that joy and delight we will experience, it already starts right now for the believer. You get a foretaste of eternal life by taking delight in God today. But it will continue without end. We see the Lord gives another promise to us in Isaiah 58 too. He says he will make us ride on the heights of the earth. It's an image of victory for his people. And the victory we achieve over our enemies is different than those enjoyed by Old Testament Israel. However, the New Testament also talks about achieving victory for the people of God. In the letters to the seven churches, Christ continually holds out promises to the one who overcomes. In 1 John 5, verse 4, the Apostle John writes, This is a victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. That faith that overcomes the world is worked in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel. That we hear every Lord's Day. The victory that God promises us may not be exactly the same as the one promised to Israel in Isaiah 58, but it is a victory nonetheless. Victory in the end over our enemies, such as sin and Satan and death and hell. That victory comes also through a proper use of the Lord's Day. Finally, in Isaiah 58, the Lord promises his people, if they call the Sabbath a delight, they will feast on the heritage of Jacob, their father. Now, the heritage of Jacob in this context refers to the promises God gave to the patriarchs. Think of the promise of land. Think of the promise of God's blessing. But whatever the promise might be, those promises also apply to us in Jesus Christ. On the Lord's Day, we hear about those great and precious promises continually. Through faith in those promises, we too, here today, can defeat our souls on the heritage promised to Jacob. Makes us look forward to the ultimate fulfilling of all God's promises on the new heavens and new earth. So we can see, beloved, Sabbath is worthy to be called a delight. God has given us this commandment not to burden us, to make us joyful, to work this delight in us. So let us use it that way, that we might find eternal delight in our God. Amen.
Let us now sing together Psalm 73, the stanzas 1, 4, 5, and 8. <laughs> 